What's up, guys? Welcome to a new episode of Movie Schmovie. This is episode number 252. My name is Steve, and who else is here with me? Ron. And John. And you'll notice that they did a really good job this week of pausing and, and giving each other the opportunity so there was no debate of Ron John or John Ron. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, that was nice and clean, guys. You, d- you did a really good job. I'm really, really happy with that. Oh, man. No Thank problem. you, Steve. I feel good about it. <laughs> <laughs> so we were just talking before we started recording that, like, you know, well, you know, even after last week's episode, just, like, trying to do some list shows, you know, we, we've kind of done a lot of catch-up on what we've been watching over mm-hmm. this unique period that we're all in. And um, one of the things John brought up was that a few years back, we, we kind of started this idea of kind of going through any given year. And, and you know, at the time, I think that the 90s were kind of what we were talking about. And we ended up doing one uh, about the songs from 1993 from the different soundtracks that came out that year. Um, and we never kind of went back to it. So John kind of suggested maybe revisiting that idea. And uh, so today we're going to do another episode of what we call Soundtrack Schmoundtrack. Um, which is a part of our branding, obviously, and we've copyrighted that entire thing. Um, That's another thing we used to do a lot more of than we do now, which was just figure out, oh, this word is hard to say and kind of yeah. funny if you apply <laughs> the movie-schmovie naming convention to it. But yeah, soundtrack schmoundtrack in the 90s, we did it because it was episode 193, and right, that's why right. we chose the year 1993. So uh, I went to a randomizer page that has like a randomizer app built in, right. and I just randomized the years between 1990 and uh, 2012, mm. and randomized, and we got the year... 2004. 2004, yes. Which, which, if, you know, right off the bat, like, when you said that year, there were a couple movies that came to mind, but overall, like, my mind immediately goes to what won an Oscar that year for best original song and we don't just do original song that we're talking about songs on any soundtrack that came out from a movie that was released in 2004 but i immediately kind of hit like a block of trying to remember even what was nominated in 2004 because i think in general like it wasn't a really strong uh i guess category that year for the oscars and and that's not to say it wasn't a good year for soundtracks but in terms of original songs, going back, I think I looked at, I didn't remember this, and I had to look it up, but I, I believe it was uh, one of the original songs from the Motorcycle Diaries that won the Oscar that year, um, which completely had forgotten that, not not that film, but just that it had won an, an Oscar for original song. But um, looking over that category, I, I did not personally line up with any of the selections uh, of nominated songs that year. I kind of went outside the bounds of that and... I don't know about you guys, I kind of went generally for like, which I think I did in that episode that we did before, like songs that like I tie to a certain scene in the movie that I loved, or just songs in general that I, you know, maybe had a second life in a movie that came out that year, but in general, just kind of went for more like my taste in music and certain scenes and movies that stood out to me, but um, kind of how did you guys kind of re- re- revisit this idea and, and kind of start your thought process for picking your choices? Uh, sort of the same thing. Um... I, I just remember <laughs> um, 2004 was, uh, I was still in school. I was still at, I had just transferred to, I was just about to transfer to Towson University. And I remember that was a pretty big year for movies. Um, and my brain just kind of exploded with like just how frequently <laughs> I was going to the movies in 2004. 
Mm. And it kind of, it, it was nuts to me. Like, I, I went a lot in 2004 at looking at the movie soundtracks that we have listed. So then I went back to some of the best times that I had in the movie theater, and that kind of sparked this list. Right. What about you, John? Well, I mean, what I was mostly struck by when I started looking was that this was at a peak time in my life when I was just buying uh, music. I was buying CDs a lot. I, I lived very near a store that you guys will know in uh, oh, man. A, part, a part of Baltimore called Fells Point, but the Soundgarden, yeah. which is, is, is a decent record store today in 2020. In 2004 or in the late 90s into the, you know, maybe... 2010 something like that when Absolutely. record stores could sort yeah. of stay afloat it they had everything yes um it was a store you could walk into and if you had heard that some obscure artist that you liked had put out an ep that week they would have it in like multiple formats they would have it sitting out with all the new releases you know and yeah. and, and now you really can't do that there i'm not i'm giving them credit for doing whatever they can uh, to stay afloat. They're selling a lot more bongs and stuff like that now. <laughs> They've moved everything into the main room. They used to have a, a vinyl room off to the side and a bunch of games in the back and a bunch of movies off to the side. Now every section is smaller and it's all in one big room. And they're doing everything they can to stay open. So more power to them in the age, uh, especially now. Gosh, I don't even know what happens now. But even before COVID-19, uh, independent record stores were having a tough time out there. So right. what it struck me when I, when I looked at the movies that came out that year, it was like, wow, there were a lot of artists that I was buying music by that were very current at that time that had had a couple albums out and who were popping up on a soundtrack. Or there were uh, composers that I liked that were working in movies. It's just a time when I was very keenly aware of soundtracks and uh, and bands. And so, yeah, there was some interesting choices uh, that I had to make to come down <laughs> with a list of three. But also, I think there were some, so, and it might be that we have quite a bit of overlap here, there were some almost obvious choices for me where I was like, oh, yeah, gosh, this is this year? Oh, wow, this too? Right. I was going to ask you guys what you were doing in 2004. You guys are significantly younger than me, especially at that point. Um, in 2004, I was 31. So... Um, I was still living near a record store in walking distance to a record store, and I was still sort of pursuing a lot of new music, but I was also kind of phasing out of that idea that I needed to just buy every album that crossed right. my path. You could play things you could play things online. It was kind of that era where you could sort of ease out of the physical objects that seemed so important before. I kind of wonder how you guys feel about that era of music being that you were a little younger and probably more readily embracing the internet side of things, even though I, I was I was in on that. I just was still desperately clinging to I like the little plastic coaster that I can you know put in my car or whatever <laughs> uh, so what do you guys think about that what was 2004 like for you as, as a guy who's into music Steve I was gonna say like that's kind of when a lot of the music stuff I was doing personally like with the band that I had at that point uh, you know just kind of doing our thing here regionally like that was uh, right around the start of when we tried to like start recording our own stuff and promoting and playing a lot of shows and so i mean there was definitely a scene that i was a part of and that the band was a part of like in especially in this regional area and even even up and down the east coast but i mean did you say the name of the band yeah the, we had a like a pop punk pop rock band called dropout year um you can check us out on itunes uh but uh basically you know we were definitely influenced by a lot of like the pop punk drive-through records was a label that was really influential and 
I've always just been super into like just pop music in general, which you'll see from the picks I have here. So I mean, just musically, I was I was doing a lot of the same basically. Like you know, like I was just out of college, and you know, working for well, initially interning and then working for the marketing company that handled like the motion picture stuff. So I had like direct exposure to all of these movies that we're talking about this year that that we're going to discuss so you know getting access to soundtracks getting access to posters to the swag that they've put out for these movies like there was a nice collision for me between the music and and the actual movie experience part of it you know because i got to work on some of these movies i got to like you know be a part of the publicity and promotional machine that kind of comes with some of these movies both on a larger level and 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 on the independent scale and more so on the independent scale because that's like a lot of the accounts that i either managed or you know at that time was starting to kind of get my feet wet with but um you know it was kind of like this weird experience for me because like you know during the day i would be working on these movies and doing publicity and promotions in the baltimore washington area for them and then at night you know on the weekends i'd be doing my band thing so it was like Music and movies were maybe at a peak at that time in my life, and you know I wasn't really I didn't have tons of responsibilities in life at that point, so I was going to tons of movies, I was going to tons of concerts, making a lot of music, so it was a really cool time for me, and um, you know, and there was a special connection too, like with certain songs from movies, um, and you could kind of like really relate to a lot of them at certain at the age I was at this time because some of the picks and you know the movies that I considered and and some of the ones I selected were relatable and um the musical choices and some of the musical cues in those movies were were very relatable so that's kind of a lot of what influenced where i was at that time and and you know ultimately now thinking back kind of what lined me up with the ones that i chose to talk about for that year how about you ronald um 2004 music wise um (laughs) i was i was fully invested in mp3s um, I had an MP3 player in my car um, that was a CD-based one. Um, and I tried to explain this to so many of my friends that would come into the car. They're like, do you have a disc changer? I'm like, no, I have a disc, one disc that has lots and lots and lots and lots of music on it. So I was I, I was a, a kind of ahead of the curve when it came to like uh, kind of shortcutting, paying a lot of money for things. Like I'd get, I'd get one thing up front. So that I wouldn't have to pay for uh, it down the line. And that was a big part of my life at that time. Making MP3 CDs yeah. to drive around to. Because I was in school. Um, I was I was in school full time. Um, I was taking, uh, at that time, close to 20 credits for like a year and a half. I was working full time. Um, I was testing video games. They would have a project. I get laid off, uh, and it happened like a, a big cycle. I was selling um, modified Xboxes at the time, um, and I would put music on the uh, the Xboxes too. So they'd say like, "I want all of the I don't know Red Hot Chili Peppers albums." Sure, I put them on there <laughs> along with the video game. So it like I had this weird connection to to music and technology and right. it it had blossomed at that point. So it was That's cool. it was cool, man. That's cool. Yeah, I think around that time I'm thinking I think that was the year I started working for Apple, which is where I met you guys when we all worked for that company. And um actually one of my picks is related. I can remember when I saw it because I remember I was in the middle of my 
my Apple training uh, when, like, I, you know, it, when it ha- there was like a Saturday and a Sunday of training. Yeah. And uh, yeah. it was that night that I went to go see a movie um, that one of my songs is from. But um, it's interesting that you mentioned something, Steve, that I wanted to pick up, and you did too, Ronald. The thing you said, Steve, was about how you were making music at that time and you were being influenced by music and you had this kind of loop in your head of music yeah. you were making and music you were getting. And I, I had that same thing going on at the time. I was, you know, I had been living in Baltimore by myself, so to speak. I had a band and a bunch of people. I worked with down in Alabama. And when I moved up here in 1999, I started doing home recording. So around 2004, I had really sort of figured out a system and I was doing a lot of music work. And I may have even started working with a band again at that point. But the music I was buying and the music I was making were a continuum. You know, I was very excited about certain things and certain ideas. And so a lot of the things I've chosen uh, well, two of the three things I've chosen were huge influences on me stylistically, and I liked them because they were sounds that represented something that I kind of wanted to hear that I was trying to, I was trying to create. So it was a very fertile time. And I would also say, just you mentioned Ronald, the the MP3 era. Mm-hmm. I think it was like '99 when LimeWire and Napster and everything kind of hit, and I had a an office uh, before the uh, the dot com bust happened. I worked for a dot com company that had an art department of like four or five people that gradually (laughs) became one person, you know, and somewhere in there I I got let go. But, um, I, uh, when I was there, they had a T1 line. So yeah, I was having oh my way my with LimeWire and Napster. And I hate to say that like nowadays I would maybe balk at that rampant piracy. <laughs> but at the time, it was very like... It, it, there were things that you didn't know how to get that it, you didn't even know how to order them online. There weren't there weren't all these uh, places serving you content legitimately. It, there was no Spotify. There was not even really uh, iTunes or Apple Music wasn't really in shape. I can't remember what form it was in then, but it was not. If anything, it was really there was right. really not a place to go online and legitimately find some of these hard to hard to get things or out of print things. So there was a little bit of a sense of strike while the iron is hot. If you're a music fan and you find that weird single that you've been looking for, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, in that sense, I think, yeah, I had downloaded, I mean, I had a lot of those MP3 CDs of varying sound levels. Uh, <laughs> yes. <man. laughs> the, the, then the technology to master them where the volume was consistent and then kind of making mix CDs for a while became the thing that was still cool to have. And then gradually the CD became something extraneous, you know? Um, but no, that you're reminding me of what a, what a lawless time that was. And it if was, you could man. remember the name of that obscure band, that weird off, offbeat band that you had heard that one song of that one time, if you could remember their name, you could find that thing. And it really was like, I don't know, it was wonderful. Uh, Even though right now I try to position myself on the side of the artist and I try to pay for things I want to support. But uh, uh, that was a great, (laughs) that was a great moment as a, as a music aficionado, just getting to hear some of those things that honestly, at the time, it seemed like, well, when am I going to get to hear this? Yeah, yeah. It was a strange time. And like, but then there was like the whole thing where like, you know, live performances and things like that, you just couldn't get. You couldn't get on anything. So, like, if if you could get it from a friend or a website or something like that, then it was the greatest thing. It was, it was pretty cool. And now music has been devalued to the point where only the most highest paid artists uh, can make a living off of it. Yeah. So let's move on to uh, our, <laughs> our, our, our happy subject today, music. Um, well, I don't know who wants to get us started with, with their first pick from a soundtrack in 2004. Now, 
our general rule is these are songs from soundtracks, not pieces of score. Um, there's one piece of score that I feel like is allowable tonight if somebody pulls it. That oh, I'm, yeah. I don't think anyone should cry foul. But outside of that, I think it would be possible this year to, <laughs> to stick with songs that were written for movies. You know what I mean? Songs oh. that were in the soundtrack tradition, an original song that, that first appeared on a soundtrack. I, I tried to make it that. But oh, Oh, I, I I wish I did that. I didn't. I didn't. Oh, geez, that's. Oh, okay. Well, there were no real hard fast rules. We just said okay. songs, not score. But like I said, if there's a piece of score that you view as a track that you would put on, then I think that counts. So. Okay. Well, I'll I'll go first then, since I'm breaking hella rules today. Uh, <laughs> obviously, the theme song to our podcast Monday, um, on the iHeart Huckabees <laughs> soundtrack. I mean, I Heart Huckabees is like one of my favorite movies in general. Um, just a movie, anything about existential crisis is going to be something I go to. Um, but Monday, just when I first heard it, I, I had never heard anything that was so much like a jingle. And it, it felt like it was a lot of talking without talking. Um, yeah, is, it, is it artist pronounced as John Bryan? Is that... That's how I was in the John Bryan. Yeah, John Bryan. Uh, great composer. Uh, just a great, great song that I'm, I'm glad that we used for the beginning of our podcast. I love how it fits the sort of mood that is movie schmovie to me. That when I hear that piece of music now, I I get this little smile on my face as though I had anything to do with it, <laughs> as though John Bryan wrote it for yeah. us, as though I was even around when you guys chose it for the show. I, I think I've asked you before, but but if you could uh, refresh my memory, who was it that picked that song? And and did you know instantly, like okay, I know this little piece of music that I want to use, or were you kind of searching? Like what was the what was the thinking behind uh, the theme for this podcast? I think I think I suggested it and. Steve, Steve, I like the way that Steve, Steve is probably one of the more direct people that I've ever met, but it's, it's kind of amazing how he does it. Cause he'll, he'll, he'll kind of let it sit for a second. And then if he doesn't like it, he'll be like, uh, about that thing that we talked about, <laughs> about that thing that we talked about. I don't really like that thing at all. I was thinking about it and I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And he didn't do that for this. And I was like, okay, I wonder if he'll get sick of it. And then many years later. He, you know, he's never said anything about it. I think it's, it just kind of fits us. It really does represent some whimsical but serious thing about that we have about each one of our personalities. Uh, so I don't know. I, I've always kind of liked that about the theme. So it it feels like it it represents a Venn diagram of of a place where our tastes overlap too. And yeah. I think we all like I heart Huckabees, right? I mean, yeah. I love that movie. Do you yeah, like right. it, Steve? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, I think that's a, that's not a movie that everybody loves. And I also think that we are sort of geared towards, I mean, someone like John Bryan, if you know that name, you've noticed how many movies he's scored over the years and how it, in a weird way, um, 
this soundtrack is like the perfect version of what he does. It's got the, the quirkiest instrumentation and arrangements, and yet the emotional force is so strong, and it totally fits that movie, which is whimsical and odd and might be not everybody's tempo, but um, I don't know. I think there's something about that movie that that uh, is so melancholy and sweet, and it's got some moments that really choke me up that just deal with human nature, and somehow John Bryan's music manages to give voice to those those melancholic thoughts, those like, it's like, it's pretty. And like you said, Ronald, it has the catchiness of like a jingle, but it's, it's got something else going on under the hood. There's these kind of subtones and, and he lets the textures of the, the oddball instruments kind of shine through. So it never sounds too polished or too, uh, slick, but it's, uh, it's definitely well arranged and definitely beautifully played. I think he's one of those guys that can basically play every instrument. Ah. Cause I've had people ask me if I made that piece of music and I, I'm extremely flattered by that because I think John Bryan is great, <laughs> but I also understand how people might think it fits in with the kind of thing I would do too. So in that way, you know, I think it fits. And that was, like I said, a choice that was made long before I came on board. So good choice, Ronald. And thank you, Steve, for agreeing. <laughs> just just this once. Thank you, Steve. <laughs> well, who's next? I can go. All right. Go ahead. I, so ba- basically, like, something I noticed um, and kind of like, you know, some things, like I said, came to mind pretty quickly. And then some other ones were just like, I, I had to think about a bit. But almost immediately, I realized that the ones that were rising to the top um, to no, really to no surprise, were movies that all were in my top ten films of that year. Like, because anyone who knows me knows that I keep a list of top ten movies and I can go back as far as you need me to. But um, uh, in, in kind of just kind of sharing these, I'm basically going to just go in the order from um, where those movies were on my top ten list from you know the highest you know I guess from basically six down to one they were in my top six basically but um the first song i'm gonna share is um actually from the spider-man 2 soundtrack and um this is probably one of the more well the most obvious case of what i talked about at the beginning of the show which is music that was really in line with what i was listening to or what we were recording or just creating but um i've been a big fan of dashboard confessional for years prior to spider-man coming out and this was kind of sort of at the height of, uh, you know, their their popularity or Chris Caraba's popularity, the singer from that band. Um, but there's an, uh, I'm pretty sure it was an original song for the soundtrack for Spider-Man 2 called Vindicate It. It's just a pretty straightforward, like, just pop rock, pop emo-y of, of that early alts kind of feeling. This is a really powerful like kind of power ballad and I think it goes really well with the movie. Hope dangles on a string like slow spinning redemption winding in and winding out. The shine of it has caught my eye and roped me in so mesmerizing so hypnotizing I am Captivated, I am vindicated. I am selfish. I am wrong. Really love the sound that that band has, and it was kind of also at a time where the band was kind of crossing over um, more into a mainstream awareness for most people, and that really was one of the things that kind of launched it too. Um, and they kind of their sound was changing a bit too at that time. It was a, uh, it initially was like you know basically Dashboard Confessional was Chris Caraba, and you know he was basically 
you know, an acoustic, it was him and an acoustic guitar. And I mean, I had seen him a number of times at different venues around Baltimore playing small little shows like down at Fletcher's or Sidebar, you know, all these small places. And like, it was really cool to see a, you know, a musician or a band that I like loved kind of blow up to that level and be, you know, on a Spider-Man soundtrack, um, one of the best comic book movies ever. And, um, you know, and, it, and and I think actually through all of his discography, I think it actually is the highest charting song that they ever had. I mean, I think it was up to number, like, I think it went as high as like number two on the alternative charts here in the U.S. And um, yeah, I don't know. It was a really cool time for being a fan of that music and that band and seeing it play in like a freaking awesome, big, huge comic book movie uh, and being the first single uh, from that soundtrack. So I don't know if you guys had ever heard of Dashboard Confessional before, if you're familiar with the name at all, but um, he definitely was like 2002 to probably six, probably was like the strongest run of of the albums he was putting out, and this kind of came right pretty much in the middle of it, and um, this song was pretty huge, so it was really cool to, you know, kind of see it, and it was one of the first ones that came to mind when I was thinking about this, so yeah, Vindicate It from the Spider-Man 2 soundtrack. Cool. Yeah. It's interesting that that movie still comes up for me as uh, one of the stronger comic book movies, like you said, that it has aged pretty well, right? I haven't watched it in a while, but... It has. It has. I don't know. Sam Raimi is just a a, a director with real style, and, and, uh, and he had a real interesting approach, I think, to the, the tone of those those movies. You, you know, whatever. Yeah. I, yeah. A lot of people, I think, like to talk smack about Tobey Maguire for some reason now. I'm not sure... I'm not sure where, where, and when that happened. Maybe he's a douche in real life or something. And I think that that's. I think that's yeah, I think that's the. Cons- yeah, I believe that's the case from what <laughs> I've heard or read. <laughs> Well, I will make my first pick uh, kind of a piggyback on Ronald's because mine is also from a soundtrack that has a score by John Bryan, but it's a different uh, uh, quirky, melancholy movie from 2004. This would be Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. And the song I've chosen is a collaboration between John Bryan and Beck, a song called Everybody's Gotta Learn Sometime. Like the sunshine And everybody's gonna learn sometime Everybody's gotta learn sometime Everybody's gotta learn sometime It represents all the stuff we just talked about with with John Bryan. He's got mellotrons and uh, you know organs and and when you hear the you hear the grain and the texture and like an odd combo, a weird 
band playing this song. It doesn't sound like an orchestra, but it does have this kind of epic sweep to it. And then this soundtrack is a little bit more ambient and weird and unsettling, I guess maybe in, in keeping with the movie being a little bit more of a mind bender. But this this soundtrack has some really pretty pieces in it. It's also got some really oddball musical moments. But this song kind of takes those sounds uh, from the from the score and utilizes them for a cover of a song by the group called the Corgis from uh, from the eighties. Um, and they actually are a band that had members of another group called Stackridge that was a very Beatlesy group that came along in the in the seventies. So it's this when when Beatles E guys in the in the seventies were making very eighties sounding music. <laughs> that's what the Corgis were. Everybody's gotta learn sometimes. Everybody's gotta learn sometimes. Everybody's gotta learn sometimes. And then this is a so it's kind of an oddball choice for a cover. It's not like a huge hit or anything. But if you listen to the two versions side by side. You can see it's totally been John Bryanized, and then you've got Beck's voice on it, and I'm sure Beck's playing different instruments on it. So it's just, in the way that I mentioned earlier, it's a cross-section of stuff I was listening to at the time. It's got, you know, I loved Beck at that at that point. Um, I still do, but at that point, you know, it was like kind of, he was in the middle of, you know, a sort of run of, of high points in his career, and John Bryan was, I guess this was his year. I, I don't know if I looked at subsequent years if he did as much memorable stuff, but at this point, you know, he had fully turned into the kind of go-to composer for these these mid-level indie films. Everybody's got to learn sometimes. Real pretty. It's got kind of uh, mopey lyrics. Uh, it's a it, it fits in perfectly with the mind state, I guess, of uh, Jim Carrey's character in that. A guy who's sort of got a piece missing. Cool. Um, I guess it's my turn. Uh, I broke all the rules, but I'm gonna uh, <laughs> I'm gonna do it. Um, mine was from the Ray soundtrack, uh, 1954's "I Got a Woman." Well. I got a woman way over town that's good to me. Oh, yeah. Say, I got a woman way over town. Good to me. Oh, yeah. She give me money when I'm in need. Yeah, she's a kind of friend indeed. I got Um, so I, I had heard this song a million times uh, through through family and stuff like that, but um, I really like Jamie Foxx's performance of his portrayal of Ray, and uh, I don't know, man. It was like the first movie where I felt like he dove into a role and I didn't see Jamie Foxx anymore, which is really cool. But what also did this thing, I mean, because, you know, I'm really into hip-hop, and... Um, what what made this even more interesting was the same year, um, Gold Digger, the sound uh the song by Kanye West came out on College Dropout, which used the same song. I got a woman sampled that. Everybody. 
so it, it kind of was the gift that kept on giving. I already liked the song, and then I was hearing multiple versions of this song throughout the airwaves. I was hearing the actual "I Got a Woman," which which I heard on the radio, and then I heard Gold Digger playing on the radio, which was really cool. So um, <laughs> that's that's my pick. I, I I thought it was such a Ray Charles obviously has an incredible voice, unique voice, and um, a biopic that. You know, it, it did everything that a biopic normally does, but it did it so well, man. I, I, I watched that movie a ton of times. That's my pick. Was that around, I guess Collateral came after that? Or was Collateral before that? Collateral? Oh, yeah. What year did Collateral come out? Same same year. Same year? Okay. Yep. Jeez, yep. that's crazy. So that's a big year for him. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm trying to remember if it came out that year before Ray... No, I think Collateral came out in August. Yeah, 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 August. Ray feels more like it probably came out like in the fall, you know, late fall. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, the Oscar movie that it was. But, I mean, that's a good example of, of what you just said, Ronald. That that was the moment of, hey, let's look at Jamie Foxx as an actor. Uh, you know, I, I guess in Collateral, he, he was playing kind of like a nebbishy, nerdy guy. He may have turned it up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. But it's still... Was a was an interesting movie the way that the the atmosphere of it was just kind of oppressive. I love that movie. It's a great movie. That's also in my uh, top ten that year. Jamie Foxx was kind of piglet with glasses. Piglet from Winnie <laughs> the Pooh. He's just like, oh, dear, 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 I feel like it. it's very <laughs> frantic. <right>? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's a good description. Uh, but but speaking of Ray, I don't think officially, I'm not going to say that that breaks the rules, Ronald, because I don't think it has to be a song written for the movie. I just said maybe, like, oh, if, like okay, if you gotcha. try to. But I don't think that that, I think it's, it's a song that existed outside of the score. So I do think that, that that's 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 well within the rules. But if it's written for the movie, I guess I guess those of us who did stuff that was original to the movie get like a bonus. I don't know, at the end of the year, we get, uh, you know, a free brownie or something. I don't know. Um, but I'll, I'm going to earn that brownie. God damn it. Um, but no, that's a good pick. I think that was, he was performing a lot of the songs in that, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he was. He's performing a bunch of them. So is the recording on the soundtrack him or is it Ray Charles? So that, that, no, no, the one, the, the soundtrack that I heard, um, I kind of went back and re-listened is actually Ray Charles, but I know that there were portions of the movie where you could tell that it wasn't ray charles so i don't i don't know if they like pick and chose whichever one he's he performed better or something like that but i, I know that that was some back and forth um but no that's a great song i love ray charles um let's see so so my next pick actually this is where i just basically divert from the whole original song john so i get no i got one bonus point but that's it the rest of my picks are uh you know refreshers i guess but um my next pick is actually a movie that found no audience in 2004, but has remained one of my favorite kind of high school coming-of-age rom-coms um, ever. And it's a movie called The Girl Next Door with um, mm. Emile Hirsch, Alicia Cuthbert, um, Paul Dano, Timothy Oliphant. But um, basically, the opening scene of the movie is they basically use Under Pressure, David Bowie and Queen.
and it's a montage of you know the high school students with their senior year photos and like the tag that each student has to do is you know hey my name is this and I'll always remember and they're kind of each going through these just kind of nostalgic trips of their favorite times in high school and you know you kind of get to the point that we're with our main character uh, Matthew Emil Hirsch's character and he kind of is just stumped because he really hasn't lived life, it seems. And that's the whole jump off for the movie um, where he basically falls in love with a, a porn star who's moved in next door. Uh, but, yeah, just the, that that song choice and just the, the when that song kicks in over the credits and, you know, when you get to meet a couple of the kind of secondary and tertiary high school characters that come in out of the movie – um, to be introduced to the different kinds of characters, the stereotypes that we see in a lot of movies like that. And then as the movie goes along, you get to kind of see how some of those stereotypes gets, you know, kind of turned over a little bit. And, um, you know, it's just like immediately it just kind of pulls on you a little bit emotionally for any memory that you have from high school. And just that song, like that opening riff and just hearing, you know, the vocals come in, it just... Most people know that song, and it's immediately identifiable, and I just think that it kind of starts that movie with such a strong emotional hit um, to a time that, you know, whether you have good or bad memories, everybody can relate to. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, Girl Next Door, uh, Under Pressure, was uh, one of my favorite ones from that year. Cool. Have you guys seen Girl Next Door? Yes. Have it on DVD. I think we all knew who Timothy Oliphant was because he was so memorable in Go. But it was around the time of The Girl Next Door that I remember hearing people talking about him again. Like, yeah, this guy's great. Um, and yeah, uh, I, no, I haven't seen this. I probably should. It always has sounded really interesting. And like, it doesn't sound like the typical teen movie. But I, I should probably finally check it out. Yeah, I, I would say it's just like, it's just a really fun kind of rom-com. I don't know. I just, I just really love that movie. And I really like buy his... Uh, Emil Hirsch's and uh, Alicia Cuthbert like their chemistry together and yeah Timothy Oliphant like I'd already been a huge fan of his but yeah his performance um, in both Go and in The Girl Next Door kind of just cemented him as like this is a guy you you know you kind of watch and he just has so much personality he just he almost steals the movie um, just like kind of like he almost doesn't go if he, if he didn't already I mean he did does in this one but um, yeah, I would I would definitely recommend checking it out, uh, John. I think you would I think you would dig it. And any yeah, and like Paul Dano's in it. He's great in it. And um, like James Remar has a small role in it. Who most people would know if they saw him. But uh, like most people probably know him from Sex and the City. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's always it's been one of my favorites since I've seen it. And I remember like again a time that I was working for studios at that point, and that was a movie that like was supposed to be a big hit. And had tested like through the roof, and it just came out like in a weird like April I want to say March or April of that year, and just like did not find an audience at all. The marketing was actually not that great, and it just kind of died. And it's a bummer because it's one of the better ones that has come out, you know, in my opinion, in the last like you know twenty plus years. Such an old 
Well, my next pick is one that it almost breaks my rule of something created for the movie that it's in, but it just gets in because this song was re-recorded for this movie with, with lyrics that fit this movie slightly better than it would if they had used the original lyrics for this song, which were used in an episode of a television show from 2002. That television show is South Park. That song is Montage. Which did appear on the uh, season six episode of South Park called Aspen. Um, it was a sports montage song mm, about yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. about them learning to ski. Yep. <laughs> and it was in, in an episode that really kind of poked fun at those sort of sports comedies of the 80s, those body, raunchy sports comedies with the kind of slobs versus snobs stuff going on. Mm-hmm. And then it was a song that was reused in the movie Team America in 2004, and the lyrics were rewritten to, to sort of take it a little bit away from the sports side of things. <laughs> but much of the same stuff is in place. So it's just, uh, I love these lyrics. Uh, Show a lot of things happening at once. Remind everyone of what's going on. And with every shot, you show a little improvement. <laughs> um, you know, so it's like the notion of having the, the the exciting montage, and it is a very exciting song that fits the bill of something that would have been in an '80s uh, action comedy um, or sports comedy. But it also, uh, you know, it it's a it's a perfect meta moment. You can't do that all the time; it would get tiresome. But that was one that really stuck in my mind, and it was one that when I saw the soundtracks and the movies that came out that year, I thought, okay, look for those things that are kind of iconic to you. And that one is a thing where I don't think. I'm probably not alone in this, but if I hear the word montage, I think about that song at least a little bit. You know, just a little bit. I hear like montage in my head. So it's a it's a perfect piece of, of parody. Um, but like many of Trey Parker's songs, it's also a pretty well-constructed song. So um, yeah, montage from Team America, which by the way, this is the movie that I saw midway through my Apple training in that year. I had, a, <laughs> I had tickets to an advanced screening oh, man. of that movie. Yep, I took my lady with a little piece of cardboard. I didn't have to pay anything. I took her right in the door. Told her she could sit anywhere. Oh, man. Treated her. Yep. I thought you might go with uh, the America Fuck Yes song from that. That's where I thought you were going. That's a great song. Uh, Is it my turn? It's my turn? Yeah, man. Okay, the third and final pick is kind of... I don't know if it was made specifically for this movie, but I know it came out in 2004. Um... I talk about this movie. I have talked about this movie quite a bit, and I'm going to keep being the trumpet that plays for this fucking movie. That is Frontline Assembly's Sturm. Now, this mo- this song you've heard on other horror film trailers, as well as every tinfoil hat conspiracy video on YouTube, is from the movie Saw. favorite 
horror film uh, third act. Oh, this is what it was. (laughs) Twist sort of things. Uh, One of the best songs played during a scene like that. I'm a pretty big fan of that movie, so... As you say that, that, I can like hear it kicking in my head. I hear it right now already. <laughs> but you know I what I mean like, on YouTube when they have those videos where somebody's like, "Absolutely, five uh, G, five G is giving everybody COVID." It's like they play the yeah. music. <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> it's so weird, man. Oh my god. <laughs> You're right, though. It, it is interesting. Like you know, that film's legacy has kind of just been kind of insane when you think about it. Just the idea of like what not only. You know the 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 subgenre of horror, whether you're a fan of it or not, that it kind of kicked off and kind of brought to prominence in the mid two thousands. But like just 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 the people that were involved with that movie and like what they've gone on to do and all the little like pieces that have come out of Saw. And I mean, it, like we've discussed before, like I, I really love the first one. Agreed, and I think it's amazing and kind of holds up too, and just a kind of a cool idea. Um, but. It's just over time, and actually, you know what? To go back a second, that's like one of the last times in a theater, like, or not one of the last times, but one of the top times, you know, in the last 15, 20 years, where I feel like there was those those aha moments or like the gasp yes. when the reveal happens. Like, I think just they they really kind of played that reveal really well, and I think that's kind of not only what it's known for, but what some other things have kind of tried to reproduce um with varying levels of success but you're right like that piece of score has come out of that and it, and it does show up like everywhere whether it's you know used for good or good or evil i don't know but it, it's it, it's definitely something very identifiable and as soon as you as soon as you said it like it immediately i could hear it and that's just kind of like yeah, it's a testament to like yeah how how in just ingrained it is in horror culture, just like you know social media, online stuff, any kind of like little. I remember you used to always like pop up in vines and stuff like that. Like it's just, it's just a really kind of easily identifiable piece of score. Um, but yeah, it's a good pick. Uh, let me see. So this is my last pick, and actually this was my favorite. This 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 comes from my favorite movie of two thousand four, which um. It's a movie that I actually got to work on that year when I worked uh, with Fox Searchlight, and it was um, Zach Braff's film Garden State. Ooh. And I know that I know that it's kind of polarizing. Some people hate that movie. Um, some people love it, and I fall into the latter. And the song from the movie, while while a lot of people really love, and I do too, um, the Such Great Heights cover um, from Iron and Wine. It's actually the the song "Let Go" from um, I don't even know. I guess it's pronounced "Frau Frau" or "Fru Fru." I think it's "Frau Frau." Fru Fru. heard the name of the band but I really had never listened to their music prior to seeing it in that film um, but 
Uh, it's a song that came out a couple years before the movie did, but um, it, its presence in the movie kind of turned a lot of people on to that band. I, I know um, myself included, and I, I've been a fan of hers especially um, since then. But yeah, I don't know. Just like I, I think we talked at the top of this episode, just like timing and where I was in life. Like again, this is the one I was referring to that was just like super relatable and kind of just being like a little lost in ways at that time in my life and not really sure what to do, kind of coming out of college and being on your own and having a real job and trying to balance like your passions in life, your hobbies in life and, and, and the things that that's kind of like your new identity, you know, the things that are paying your bills and things like that. And there's some themes in the movie, um, much, while it's much heavier than what I was going through in my life, it just was a, I definitely identified with, uh, some characters in the movie and, and, and that song specifically just kind of this general idea of, of just kind of accepting that it's never going to be perfect. And that, you know, I think you'll always miss out on something if you don't try or just, you know, submit to just the experience. And I think that that's kind of, um, something that I, I go back to that song quite a bit. I, lo- I love that song. I even listen to some of the covers from that other artists have done. Um, of that song, but just even how the the song starts and builds to this like, it just has this like cello and synth pop like it just builds to this climax and you just kind of feel like you're I don't know I, me I kind of feel like I'm floating when I listen to that song and it just kind of takes me someplace and it still does and I remember feeling that way when I saw it in the movie and just the experience um, of my you know of my watching that movie for the first time but just constantly going back to that song and it's still even listening to it for this episode just reminds me of just like of that it just reminds me of that takeaway of just like kind of letting it happen and just you know um yeah it's just a really really great and kind of transportive song for me cool no you're right that people seem to have turned on that movie um you know uh garden state and the saw films all fall in the category of things John hasn't seen. <laughs> really? <laughs> eventually, one of those things where we vote to find out what franchise we're going to watch next, eventually one of those is going to land on Saw, and I'm going to have to uh, watch <laughs> all of them, and Ronald's going to laugh in the corner in the form of a little creepy doll. <laughs> Ronald, what do you think of Garden State, or what did you think versus what you think now, if there's a difference? I I really liked it when it came out. Um but yeah, I've been seeing this whole like retroactive like I watched a Watch Mojo thing of movies we thought were good in the early 2000s that we that are trash now or something <laughs> like that. And I was like, "Why are they dumping on this movie?" I remember thinking that it was it was it was cool and relatable and I, I kind of felt that's like kind of similarly like, you know, you could you could be doing a million things and I feel like you're doing anything at that age because mm-hmm. nothing feels like it's sticking and i remember relating to how lost zach seemed in that movie i don't know it was i liked it do people think it's cutesy or something so having not seen it i can't really say much more but i do know that that seems to be a, a complaint people have that it like like that they think it thinks it's better than it is or something that's what people say basically is that and i mean and i get it i mean it's not a i mean it's not totally incorrect i mean it, it has I mean, it's not a very subtle movie, and then some of the some of the shots, some of the direction is a little a little kind of heavy-handed at times, but or or it can be seen as such. I I didn't really feel that way myself, but I mean, I feel like in general that's a lot of the 
that's a lot of the criticism that beyond what you just said, John, um, about Natalie Portman's character, but just like that, you know, that their romance is weak or that, you know, that there's no subtlety in, in some of the symbolism he's showing in the movie and some of the, the shots are a little too, like, uh, maybe quirky. I, I don't know the, the, the proper term, but I mean, that that's the key that, uh, you know, most people kind of get you'll hear from those that you know that kind of don't like the movie is i think it's one one of or a combination of those uh those things but yeah but still i mean it's a movie i I still really enjoy well i shall see it someday and form my own opinion cool and then i shall broadcast it to the entire world (laughs) cannot wait (laughs) well this is actually interesting because it it brings me right into my pick for my last song um which is a song by the shins and everybody knows that in 2004, the Shins made a big uh, splash. This sounds like a pun, but it's not, by appearing <laughs> on the soundtrack to a, an important and influential film. And of course, I'm talking about the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. Sure. And the Shins song, They'll Soon Discover. wonder was it written for the movie when i was looking it up and I, I i think it has to have been written for the movie because there's a lyric in there that says um your buck teeth and your stalwart heart uh <laughs> i don't think you would have the lyric your buck teeth and your stalwart heart in a song if you weren't talking about spongebob um but there's also references to your you know your your friends under the ocean or your kin in the ocean and i think it kind of comes in the movie at a certain point where the lyrics refer a little bit to the to the uh, you know the existential moment that spongebob is having at that point in the movie but i do remember it from the movie but i also remember it elsewhere and i wonder if maybe it was just played on the radio or if it had a video or if it got used in some other context because when i went back today to to check this soundtrack um, because I remember this soundtrack having a lot of cool bands on it, and it does. It's got Flaming Lips. It's got a great song by Ween, not one written for the movie, but a song of theirs called Ocean Man that, if you know them, it's one of their catchiest songs. So it's just a soundtrack that's jam-packed with these great uh, you know, songs that are poppy and kind of re- represent indie pop of that era, but they also fit the SpongeBob vibe of being nautical <laughs> in their theme. And then on top of that, having you know some kind of uh, like again something you could picture being used in in that context of of, of those characters. But um, no, SpongeBob SquarePants movie. Uh, I remember that movie pretty fondly, but I also really remember digging the heck out of the soundtrack. So the song uh, they'll soon discover by the Shins. Cool. Little fun fact: uh, when when we were working on that movie when it came out, I was dressed up as Patrick uh, at number of events <laughs> around the Baltimore area. 
So if you saw Patrick Starfish somewhere in Baltimore in 2004, <laughs> yours truly was inside of that suit. That's amazing. And I have and I, and I have plenty of photos to prove it. But yeah, there there was a run there when I was at the marketing company where, you know, charactered performances were like a big part of marketing at like conventions and you know, places like the aquarium and the science center and in my run there, I was I did Patrick, I did Chucky from Rugrats movie, and then if you've ever seen Sex Drive, I was the mustache donut from that movie as well. Oh yeah, uh, I like Sex Drive. I love that movie, but yeah, so it was funny that that movie was a pretty big hit, and uh, there was plenty of appearances where I was uh, <laughs> all around Baltimore dressed up as Patrick. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. Good stuff. Good stuff. But yeah, <laughs> so that's our that's our picks. That's nine songs. Yeah, nine songs slash Some score. Good picks, man. Yeah, yeah. So was two thousand and four a good year for soundtracks? I mean, like, was are we going to find that every year there are more than you might remember? Mm. Just because we're guys who are plugged into music and movies, that you know, when you, when you dig into a year, are you going to find that stuff, or was this yet another year that it's kind of coincidentally? Uh, a big year for soundtracks because I really think that whatever you think of the movie, the Garden State soundtrack was a huge yeah. template yeah. for for soundtracks to come and kind of kind of uh, I don't know maybe it's drafting off of what Tarantino did and other directors as well, but it feels like Zach Braff really got a lot of credit for sort of saying, "Oh, I just made a mixtape for everybody to listen to." You know? Oh yeah, um, oh, and and that, I think that that feel continues in in indie movies to this day of an eclectic mix of of kind of current bands. Um, and there's even a kind of band that seems to make music that you might think of as, oh, this is like uh, the kind of indie music that they put in movies. Yeah. You know, there's a certain genre of, of, of pleasant pop that, uh, that fits just right in, in, a, in a scene where you want to evoke like soft emotions. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like in general, I don't know. Like, I guess I didn't really think initially that it was really that strong of a year for soundtracks, but I mean, I guess it was, um, Garden State, the Ray soundtrack was huge. I think that went platinum. Um, Spider-Man 2 soundtrack was really big. But I mean, you know, like the songs that get nominated at Oscars, like things like I started the show mentioning, like I don't think that 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 category was very strong. I think there are probably some years that will... I think we should come back to this idea. It's just really fun. And I think that some other years definitely have like stronger, just like landmark songs or, you know, just, you know, you really... I don't think that there was a song that really kind of jumped out as like an, especially original songs, you know, that at least to me, um, that were like just forever songs, you know, but overall it was a better year than I thought when I first was like trying to come up with suggestions or like ideas for like songs that might qualify for me. But, um, I don't know. Yeah. I guess it kind of fell in the middle in general, but I, I was really kind of, happy with the selections i came down on especially the garden state soundtrack and uh the song from spider-man 2 just because that was the original song that i picked um one thing i want to ask you guys because i did wonder when i was putting the years into the randomizer how far back would be fair game for you guys to go because i again i'm a little older so i I have a, a, a little earlier frame of reference for soundtracks what would you say would be the earliest year we should put in the randomizer for next time 1980 Personally, I would, yeah, I would say something in the 80s just so I could, like, have some sort Because, I mean, a big part of, like, I was saying before, like, I'm trying to think about, like, when I heard the song in the movie. Um, 
and not that I haven't mm-hmm. watched movies before 1980, but like I, I just think that it's kind of like uh, there's like that real raw reaction to some songs. Like one of the ones that didn't make my list that I was going to mention was um, uh, what was it? Uh, Thirteen going on thirty with the Jennifer Garner kind of like body swap. Kind of oh movie, yeah, I remember that. Which I love and I think is just great. But there's a there's a mu- musical cue in there with with uh, I want to dance with somebody from Whitney Houston. That's just like a great scene in the movie that I almost picked that. But it's a, it, that kind of thing like where when you see the movie, you see the song, and there's like just that moment like we're like it's just really kind of a great selection. You know what I mean? And. I yeah. would say, like, I'm trying to think of of years when when you put it in the randomizer, like, where I could really have recollection of, like, the first time I saw the movie. And usually it's, like, when I saw it in a theater or something like that. So, you know, sometime in the what in the 80s would still probably register for me. Yeah. So I wonder if maybe next time we ought to just randomize 80s years and just because the 80s soundtracks, they deserve a spot in the sun because it's a special. Yeah, it it would be a, it, it'll be fun. To, it'll be fun to go a little further back. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, so soon we'll do uh, we'll do another uh, episode of uh, Soundtrack Soundtrack with the '80s uh, being the era that we're choosing from. Awesome, awesome. Well, guys, it's a lot of fun, and uh, anyone listening, we'll be back in a week. We're going to keep on this uh, schedule that we got going. So hopefully, you're looking forward to that, like we are. Uh, you can find us on movieshmovie.com. And I did confirm we have the .com and the .net in case you want to go to either one. Um, <laughs> Facebook.com slash movie schmovie is, is probably the best place to find us in general. Um, and I know I say it all every week or every episode, but like we really would love to, you know, if you have suggestions for episodes, post something there. I mean, we would love to have any kind of suggestions or ideas or just feedback on episodes that we've done recently, if you like them or not, and kind of want us to continue with that idea. Uh, that would be great if you could let us know yeah. as always um, but yeah thank you guys for getting together it was really kind of fun talking about this this marriage of music and movies which we both or you know all three of us the two of those together we just like you know love independently and joined it's just like a really cool thing to be able to talk about them together um, but if you guys are good and I know I am I think we'll get ready to go and as always you've made our day thanks bye bye